Hey there, everybody. This is Bruce Kelly from Investment News with another episode of the Investment News Podcast. Today we have a, I would say, a spectacular guest, one of the smartest guys in the newsroom, Ryan Neal, our technology reporter and editor at Investment News. And he's going to talk to us about various deals blowing up and technology conferences coming up as well. And, of course, I'm speaking about the one and only Ryan Neal. Mr. Neal, welcome to the Investment News Podcast. I'm good. Thanks for having me back on the podcast, Bruce. When was the last time you were here, my friend? I can't remember. You and Jeff gave me a wonderful introduction when I uh, rejoined Investment News uh, back in April. I had just returned, or May, I think, May. I had just returned from the T3 conference and talked a little bit about that and my uh, role here at Investment News. Yeah, that's right. And you ha- you were doing a whole bunch of podcasts and, and stuff, right, from the T3 conference as well. Yeah, I interviewed uh, a series of uh, executives from across the industry, you know, at firms as well as tech companies that uh, you can find on investnews.com. The uh, reason why I wanted to speak with you today, and Jeff couldn't be here today, he's he's supposed to be back next week. So all you big Jeff Benjamin fans out there, you know, he'll be back. Don't worry. Uh, he's just been busy, a little busy and, and, and traveling and the like. Something interesting happened <laughs> right at the end of the summer, the Friday before uh, Labor Day, um, at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon, when everybody is leaving or on vacation and not thinking about work or Wall Street or uh, financial advice anymore and trying to take some time. And, and it was a big technology deal that had been announced all the way back in January was all of a sudden terminated. And it was dropped at a very odd hour, too. Could you tell us uh, what happened? Yeah, I want to say it crossed my feed around 4.30 on Friday, right before Labor Day. Uh, one of those, uh, you know, kind of news bombs sneaking in while everyone's already on vacation sort of thing. <laughs> um, and it was UBS and Wealthfront, the digital advisor out of Silicon Valley, announced that they were terminating their deal. They said it was a mutually agreed upon decision that they were not going to go forth with the acquisition. Um, as you said, back in January, UBS announced that they were going to buy Wealthfront for $1.4 billion. That's billion with a B. Um, and, you know, they talked quite a bit about it in their earnings report since then. They talked about how excited yes. they were, how it's going to be a big part of their growth of UBS's U.S. wealth management business uh, was going to be digital. And uh, they were looking forward to integrating Wealthfront's technology and uh, some of the things that they bring to the table in with the overall UBS platform. So it was a pretty pretty surprising. That, um, it doesn't often happen that they go this far into the deal making process and then announce the no thanks. Yeah, it's huge surprise. I I saw your story pop up on Twitter. I was I was kind of stunned. This is you know the sale of Wealthfront. The market's expectation of it goes all the way back like to last. October, November, or even before that, because your predecessor, Sean Alaka, who you know well, he was on the podcast like eight, ten months ago talking about Wealthfront being sold, who would buy it, was it going to be Goldman Sachs, you know, was it going to be UBS, was it going to be Deutsche Bank, or one of those, it had to be a large institution of some kind, right? 
who would buy yeah. this thing and, and swallow it. And to me, what's always fascinating is how these, how UBS or Goldman Sachs and the like, how they make these, how they're making these acquisitions of RIA or new technology platforms and whether or not they work like Goldman Sachs's acquisition a couple of years ago of United Capital. And you and I were working on that story when it broke and how this one kind of fell apart. You know, there was so much speculation as to what Wealthfront was worth. Uh, the announcement in January for one point, putting a price tag of $1.4 billion on the company uh, was right in line with the speculation of the marketplace. And it, it was a, celebrated, and you say, as a way of UBS talked about it on, on the earnings calls there out of Zurich as a way to as a bridgehead almost into a new sector of clients, younger, right, clients in the United States, mass affluent, a real growth engine. Morgan Stanley, of course, right before the pandemic, said it was buying E-Trade and completed that acquisition. Now, E-Trade is an online discount brokerage, a different business from Wealthfront, but that was a beachhead for Morgan Stanley to grab younger clients who trade online as opposed to want to work directly with a financial advisor. And what's interesting also is UBS isn't completely untangled from Wealthfront. Wealthfront will you know, continue to operate as an independent company, but uh, UBS is investing into the company, uh, into Wealthfront, I should say. Uh, they said that they are purchasing a note uh, for, I think it was $87 million dollars that values Wealthfront at $1.4 billion, which they were going to spend, right? Uh, and that is you know, convertible into Wealthfront shares. So they're invested in the company, and they said in their press release they're going to you know, look for ways to continue working together. You know, who knows what that means? But it's sort of interesting <laughs> as well that they're not just completely... Seven, I don't think it means much. You know? I don't think it means much, but you know, $87 million investment is... Um, you know, it's not nothing. That's that's you know, it's not it's small for a company like UBS, but it's not nothing. Well, that might have been part of the um, the deal agreement. If the deal didn't work out, they would have to take some kind of invest. one side would have to take some kind of investment. Sure. Uh, and the other side that there's all kinds of stipulations when deals break down. Like look at Elon Musk and Twitter. Sure. Right. Just tell us a little bit about Wealthfront. And Wealthfront's prominence as a robo advisor, they those types of plat, those types of firms hate being called robo advisors. But just tell us about because I'm also fascinated about like the you know Wealthfront who ran Wealthfront, you know the kind of the kind of cachet that they once had in the marketplace that perhaps is dimmed. Just tell us a little bit about Wealthfront and where it came from. Yeah, absolutely. So Wealthfront founded uh, right after the financial crisis, around the same time as Betterment. They both kind of came about the same time, you know, uh, automated investment allocation, right? RoboAdvisor is you, you you sign up online, you do your risk questionnaire, uh, kind of builds an, a portfolio of ETFs and invests and manages that money for you, does automated rebalancing, et cetera. This kind of this idea started right around the end of the financial crisis, and they've really taken off since then. Uh, Wealthfront being from San Francisco, Betterment was from New York. They were very much competitors. And they really had a thing going with each other, right? They did. I mean, well, they kind of, I'm better than you, and you're, be you're not better than me. And 
Yeah, la I mean, la la. I would say it was it, at first. It was uh, it was very much that they were wanting to take you know disrupt the industry. It was very right. we we you know want to uh, offer a better way of financial advice. A that's how they pitch themselves. Yeah, a, a more equitable, uh, more transparent, uh, more affordable. Um, what's interesting is as the years went. Betterment changed its tune, and actually, they were, you know, once upon a time, kind of the more aggressive of the companies. They really right. kind of stuck it to the industry, and then softened their tone, and eventually partnered with the industry. Uh, they launched Betterment for Business, which you know now d- delivers their pro- platform to financial advisors. Um, they have a four hundred one k business that they do for um, you know employers. Um, right. So they've really kind of changed their business model quite a bit, and they brought on human advisors. For like a premium uh, product, the the so-called digital hybrid so, approach, and that's a more that so that sounds like a, a Betterment is, has kind of uh, morphed into a, a more traditional financial services right slash financial advice type of company right. And what's in, and Wealthfront on the other hand has steadfastly remained purely digital. Um, they they <laughs> right. have they have remained that we want to build a digital platform so good that you don't need a human financial advisor. And to their credit, they have one of, if not the best, digital platforms out there. Um, right. The recent uh, you know back end benchmarking, although I think they go by Condor Capital these days, does their quarterly ranking of robo advisors. Right, I saw that. Um, and they ranked uh, Wealthfront as. Uh, one of the best, along with SoFi. Um, they right. really do have an excellent digital platform, far and above better than what UBS has. Um, so, you know, bringing this kind of company on makes sense. Um, what was interesting, though, is that Wealthfront has been so antagonistic, that isn't necessarily the right word, but, you know, uh, confrontational with the traditional financial services industry, that them then getting bought by UBS, which is a very traditional bank. Everyone, there's a lot of questions around culture fit and how that sort of Silicon Valley, we want to disrupt the industry ethos was going to work within the big bank. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much of a role that played, but, you know, it looks like they're, it's, it wasn't going to work. I, I love the, the notion of Silicon Valley arrogance versus Wall Street pride and power, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it just... That's how the combination struck me initially, but to have this kind of thing fall apart—I mean, this is a this is a, a, a very large acquisition. Yes, you don't see big deals like this fall apart that often. No, very rare. What what happened? Do you have any insight or any or any you know sound speculation or or big questions to ask here, perhaps? Yeah, right now, all that we can really do is speculate. Um, I've reached out to both companies. Neither one wants to talk about it right now, which is, you know, uh, uh, I guess, to be expected. But the one variable that has changed, if you sort of look at just, you know, what we know about the companies in recent months, is Nareen Hassan coming aboard uh, UBS as their new, uh, you know, head of their U.S. wealth management. Yes. Um, now, Nareen Hassan is a very well-known figure in wealth management, especially around technology. She was at Charles Schwab um, when they developed and their own robo-advisor, the Intelligent Portfolios. Right. She was kind right. of the leader of that team, and she's you know hopped around various companies running their digital strategies. So she's very good at this. She's done it before at, at a few firms. Now, 
when Wealthfront first came up in the San Francisco area, they were very complimentary of Schwab. In fact, some of their blog posts you can look up from back in the back in the day talked about how they wanted to be the robo-advisor version of Schwab, how Schwab revolutionized, you know, giving people access to investing via their, you know, discount brokerage and their access to online trading, um, that they want to do that for investment advice. Um, that, that Schwab, they used to, they called them their, their North Star. You know, and the rumor back in the day was that Wealthfront's goal was to maybe get acquired by Schwab someday. Obviously, that didn't happen. Schwab developed their own robo-advisor, and it's right. done very successfully. Um, when Schwab did release intelligent portfolios, the tune changed almost overnight. And I wrote about this back in, I want to say it was 2015 or so, right. 2016. Schwab went on, or Wealthfront went on the offensive, and they started publishing several blog posts um, really criticizing Schwab's robo-advisor and their business model. Um, some some very fair criticisms. Uh, Schwab, you know, right. has since law, you know, um, gotten dinged by regulators for you know some of their business practices that Schwab, that Wealthfront did criticize them for. Right. Um, but it was very public, and it was very there was a lot of fighting between the two companies for for a while. So now it's interesting that the person who was in charge of Schwab's robo at that time came over to UBS, and then a couple months later, this deal now falls apart. I don't know if that has if there's any direct connection. That's some great there, background. But there, that's that's you know some dots that are not difficult to connect. So if we were sitting down drinking a beer, we would speculate that maybe some uh, old resentments uh, flowered once again. I don't uh, even know if it's deal. I don't even know if it's old resentments or just Noreen's background and experience coming to UBS and saying, we don't need to acquire this. We can build it ourselves. I've done it before. I can do it again. Also, I think a big factor in any deal right now, including pending IPOs, the IPO market, as you and I have talked about, is terrible right now and causing some questions in the marketplace around wealth management firms' ability to go public right now, right? Yes. So is the did, did someone at UBS or a group of people at UBS say, hold on, we're paying way too much for this? <laughs> That's You know, we, we're paying a January price uh, and then the market went down 20%. Yeah, I think there's there's absolutely some speculation about that on, you know, financial Twitter, FinTwit as it's called. Right. Um, that's been a lot of the talk. I mean, look at Wealthfront's business. Um, you know, they are a RAA, a digital RAA. Um, with that charges an AUM fee. So, you know, their revenue is going to be very tied to market performance. Uh, and we know that UBS was already paying uh, a quite a quite a big multiplier over their revenue already. So as right. you said, if, if that revenue was really taking a hit with markets, you know, as you said, are they paying January prices for uh, something that's much less expensive these days? For something that the Friday before Labor Day, yeah. <laughs> it's not worth as much. But to um, be and clear, again, you know, this is all we don't know. This is all this is, you know, sort of speculation. This this is kind of we're just having some fun and having some speculation yes. and asking questions. We are not reporting this in any way, in the sense of this is something that we would say that we knew with certainty uh, were the reasons for this. Just to be clear to the, the listeners, so just kind of what is where does UBS go then to uh, uh, burnish or build up or polish its Technology. I mean, that is because a, I, if you hold, if you just give me a sec. I mean, yeah. you think Merrill Lynch, you think Merrill Edge. 
right? Right. You think Morgan Stanley, you think two things. You think of E-Trade and you think of the, the, the whiz-bang technology they have in-house for their advisors, which we, you and I have seen at the, this over the summer when they had when Morgan Stanley in New York had their, their rollout of their, their, new, um, their new tech platform for advisors. And, and we've written about that for years, how they've invested in this platform and, and the like. Wells Fargo, it has an online presence, but it's not very strong. They have a, a lot of problems that they're working out internally with financial advisors there, as we have reported. So what about the fourth uh, wirehouse, UBS? Where do they go with their technology? What's the state of it and where do they go with it from, from here? That's certainly the, um, the big question for them. Um, you know, uh, Ralph, Ralph Hammers, is that, is, that, is that pronouncing it right? Hammers? I believe so. Yeah. You know, he has spoken publicly, uh, and you've written about this, and I've written about this um, in their earnings calls about his mission to pull UBS into the digital age. And, you know, I think the, the real question is, as I mentioned earlier, Noreen Hassan. I mean, that is, that is, they hired her to be president of UBS Americas, knowing her background in technology and what she can do. Because, you know, I talked about Charles Schwab, uh, and you just mentioned Morgan Stanley's technology um, platform. And it's, you know, it's very impressive. Um, we've seen it both. We've both seen it. You know, who's in charge of that, right? was Noreen Hassan. She yeah. came, She went from Schwab to Morgan Stanley and helped guide their digital strategy, which is now extremely impressive and one of the leaders in the advice industry. And then she left Morgan Stanley a couple of years ago and went to the New York Federal Reserve, yes. right? Yes, yes. So she left Wall Street, the banks of Wall Street, to work for, you know, government Wall Street, the Fed, the New York Fed, uh, for a little while, and now she's back at UBS. Yeah, yeah, and um, so really, when you ask where do they go forward, it's really going to depend on her. Um, and she has a, a very impressive track record. It's going to, you know, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, I, my guess would be if you look at her track record at Schwab and at Morgan Stanley, that was a you know develop it in house. Maybe UBS goes that route. They do have an existing partnership with Sigfig, which is another one of those digital uh, a robo advice platform that's white labeled. Um, it's right. Uh, they've had that relationship for a while. Uh, who knows kind of what the state of that is, but they don't, they're not starting from nothing. But um, yeah, where they go forward, it, it remains to be seen. And she was hired quite recently, right? Within the past two or three months, I believe. July, yeah. She was hired in July. So uh, Noreen Hassan gets hired in July and then the deal gets canceled weeks later. Um, to me, that's not a coincidence. So, hey, Ryan, that's all. I, I love talking about these robo-advisors. You know, like I love talking about the RIA roll-ups and aggregators because it all kind of came out of the financial crisis, right? right. Uh, as different ways to deliver financial advice and how they're, how they're either merging or staying away from the traditional wirehouse or independent broker model. Um, I, I, I love all that stuff, and this is great context. But we were talking yesterday... We had the good fortune to both be in the offices of Investment News in Midtown Manhattan yesterday. You're, you're going to be living on the road a little bit in the weeks coming up, aren't you? I am. Starting next week and all of October, I will be hitting the, hitting the conference circuit. But the one, the one I'm really interested in is this, is this tech, this Josh Brown tech thing, this techapalooza, or what were we call it, techapalooza? <laughs> there, or 
this big thing that's supposed to happen in L.A. next week or something, right? What's going on with that? What's it, it called and what is it? It's the Future Proof. They're, it's not a, they're calling it not a conference. It's a wealth festival. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be on the beach in Huntington Beach, California. Oh, my goodness. Uh, where my parents both kind of grew up uh, hanging out at back in the 60s. And that's L.A., Huntington Beach, right? Or, it's the Orange L.A. County. area. The, the California in me has to correct that it is not Los Angeles. It's Orange County. So Orange County is a little south of Los Angeles, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Um, it's going to be outdoors, which sounds nice, although it's supposed to still be quite hot. Um, Man, is it hot in, Ca- in Southern California right now? Yeah, uh, and it's not supposed to cool down very much by the time I get there. But, hey, at least it'll be outside. Um, yeah, you know, they're... It's tech is a part of it, but they're really focusing just more on, on industry wide personalities and speakers. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. They're, they're and is really, Josh running it, or what's the who's running it exactly? Yeah, so it's it's the Ritholtz crew. Um, right. It's them partnered with a group called Advisor Circle or Advice Circle. They're sort of a marketing digital marketing company for advisors, and they're putting on the conference in partnership with the Ritholtz folks. And before the pandemic, people loved the Ritholtz conference, though. Yeah, they were doing another one called Wealth Stack that was right. more tech focused. Uh, I think they did one of them uh, before the pandemic hit, maybe yes. two. I, I can't quite remember. It was it was very new. It was because I, but I just remember the people coming back from that saying, "Wow, what a fantastic time you all had." Yeah, they were really focusing kind of on a, a younger generation of advisors really sort of changing up the advisor tech conference vibe that's been out there, uh, wanted to do something different, which I think people appreciated, you know, kind of some new energy, a different focus than what had been around the, the T3s and, and whatnot out there. Uh, but this one is different than that. Technology is a focus, but less so. I'm really curious to see how it goes, because for all of their marketing around it being not a conference, it's a festival, I mean, it still looks quite a bit like a conference. There's still an agenda of speakers. I'm still getting my inbox flooded by companies asking if I want to meet them. There's still right. dinners afterwards. I don't think there's an expo hall, so maybe that's different. But we'll see. I mean, if it's a conference that's just outside, that still sounds pretty nice. Yeah, if it's not 100 degrees out. There. Right. Let's <laughs> we'll see. Bring your sunscreen, my friend. You're yeah. very fair complexioned, you know? I am, um, I am. And you have some other conferences. What what other tech stuff do you have coming up in conferences related that our listeners can look to for coverage? Our October is busy. I'll be at the uh, the Schwab Impact is coming up. I believe that's in Denver. Oh no, it's in Boston. Excuse me, that's in Boston. Okay. Uh, I've got the XYPN conference coming up. I believe that's the one in Denver. And I've got Riskalyze coming up in Salt Lake City. Oh, so uh, where's Riskalyze? Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. Wow. Also, I'm mixing them oh. up. Maybe XYPNs in, in Denver. Or I, I can't remember, but those are, the, those are the, the three big ones I got coming up in October here. Yeah. What kind of tech stuff are, do you expect to see? Any, anything new or different coming out of these or, or just more of the same stuff? The big focus these days is on, well, the, the Schwab one will definitely be interesting, right? Because we we were still plugging away right. on that uh, the TD deal the TD and merger, integrating yeah. that technology. So I imagine there will be quite a bit to show and talk about there as far as that whole deal is going. Uh, so that one I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. Riskalyze is interesting because of how much they've sort of pivoted towards working with large firms. You know, they've grown to pretty respectable size, primarily by, you know, going from RA to RAA. Now their focus is very much on enterprise deals and, and technology that they could bring in these large firms. So they scored that deal with Satera, right? 
They, uh, they have a deal with LPL and they're going after bigger and bigger fish. So, huh. um, That'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out uh, with right. supplies. No, it's fascinating. A conference, not a conference that you're going to next week. I can't. I can't wait to hear about that. So, and then of course the Schwab TD. It's a you know of course it's a business merger, but really it's it's a the biggest hurdle for that for them really is to convince the TD advisors for Schwab to convince the TD advisors that are that you you will like our technology. Absolutely, and that's actually I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm the, I'm hosting a panel at the Future Proof Conference with oh. Apex, uh, the you know digital custodian, yeah, um, and they are one of several custodians out there that think there's blood in the water, that think they have an opportunity to win some of those advisors that are maybe yes. some of those TD advisors that are disillusioned with Schwab or, or not happy or, or think they'll be left out. Um, they see opportunity, and that also will be I think that'll be a focus of Future Proof is some of these smaller custodians making their pitch to mid-sized advisors, like you know the, the folks that kind of come to the Ritholtz events, uh, right. and say, hey, you don't, you don't need to stick with the big three. Come check out us. Come check out Apex and what we can do for you, or interactive brokers, or you know, uh, trade PMR, and some of these other custodians out there. Yeah, that's great, man. I'm, gl- I'm glad you uh, took a little time to chat with us today. I think all this uh, what do you call it? Seamless end-to-end integration? What's the, uh, <laughs> That's all, yeah. Frictionless. <laughs> the frictionless, seamless, end-to-end, integrationless uh, stuff is 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 fascinating because I you you get it and you get it in such a wonderful uh, way and can and can communicate it so clearly uh, to people and uh, and people like me. I mean, I I I don't get technology and you do. So we're very thanks for stopping by today, Ryan Neal. Hey, thanks for having me, Bruce. It's always great to chat with you. Uh, launching every Monday, that was another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our very special guests, Investment News' very own Ryan Neal. We also want to thank Angelica Hester, our fabulous producer. You can find the podcast, of course, at investmentnews.com. You can find it uh, as well on all the major platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Uh, our Twitter handles for, for my partner who wasn't here this week, uh, Jeff Benjamin. He is at Benji Ryder on Twitter. Reach out to him. My handle is at BD News Guy. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be talking to you next week.